0: please and thank you, 363, when we see Christ, stand with me if you can,
1: you
0: know what an amazing day that will be, that's what gets me through the hard times, when I see Him, when we see Christ.
1: Oh.
2: I pray, Lord, you'd uh, influence all of our lives with the preaching and the teaching of your word. Help us, Lord, to live for you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you do a wonderful work in all of our lives. In Christ's name, I praise,
0: give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please turn your hymn books to 456. Please and thank you, 456. Count your blessings. Now this is something to be happy about. Well, call yeah. oh, both of them anyway. Now <laughs> this always puts a smile on my face. Count your blessings.
1: Amen.
3: When upon life's billows you are tempted, tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings, in them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you ever burning with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly. And you will be singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, sing them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one count your many blessings see what god has done when you look at others with their lands and gold think that christ has promised you his wealth untold count your many blessings money cannot find your reward in heaven or your home on high count your blessings sing them one by one Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all your many blessings angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one count your many blessings, see what God has done. Amen.
0: You may be seated. All right, we'll have Pastor come up and do announcements.
2: All right, well, it's good to be here today. It's good to see you all, to be in the Lord's house this morning and have the opportunity and privilege to assemble with God's people in this place God has provided Hear um, God's word. The saints of God sing praises to Him. It is a blessing. Uh, just a few things to touch on. Um, I'd ask you continue praying about our building project. I know I bring it up every week, but it's been pressing on my heart. I'd like to see just praying we could start to see some things moving forward and uh, have some pieces, some more pieces start coming together with the planning and everything. So, mm-hmm. you just keep that in prayer. Um, also, ladies' meeting tomorrow. So I was thinking, but want to double check the date tomorrow at 6 p.m. So that's Monday, the 10th. Uh, that's be two weeks from today. Is our church mini golf? I uh, don't well, mini golf Sunday, ice cream Sunday. Do you like ice cream Sunday? Dude? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So we are planning to shoot to Bangor after lunch, and then uh, go to Fielder's Choice, have uh, some mini golf, and then afterwards ice cream and a devotional. So that is going to be on Sunday the 23rd. And then quickly, I'll touch on Family Camp. That's September 13th through 16th. Familycamp.me is the website if you want to register. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. It is Wednesday night through Saturday morning, is the is the time, and Thursday and Friday are all day. Um, so I can't remember breakfast, I think is served at either eight or nine, I don't remember, and then dinner's at, I think five or 5.30, and we're not usually out of there until after fellowshipping, after the service. A lot of times we don't leave there till 10 o'clock at night, you know. So it's full days, uh, and amount of preaching, three services I think, two two or three services two real, two big services and then one of the days I think we have a session, if I recall uh, it's not always been exactly the same, so that's why I'm going I think, I don't, because I'm trying to remember what the most recent time was and go based off of that, but it has been extremely helpful for us each year I know this year they have a pastor coming up from New York and uh, he's going to be preaching to us so I'd encourage you to come to that Also, one more thing, we're not going to do junior church today. Um, I know I talked some last week about how we're starting a series on the home, and the people who do junior church are ladies, and today's message is uh, to wives. And I just, not that I think, you got to be here because you got to learn this stuff, but I just want, I'll be honest, I was sharing a little bit in Sunday school, and this morning I'm like getting ready, and I just have this, weight on me of just the importance. There's this thread of pastors in Maine and New Hampshire. I think there's 15 or 16 guys. And I don't even know all the guys. I know them, but I don't know their numbers, because some of them come through with just a phone number when they're texting. And this man who was a pastor for several years up here, he started this a few years ago. And every uh, Saturday night, he sends out this message. Ready, preachers, what's your text? Entitled for tomorrow, and then he prays for everybody. So I don't always send it because sometimes I get it and I'm in the middle of stuff and then I kind of forget. But this morning I texted what I was preaching, and uh, somebody says, I hope you got your stuff ready to sleep on the couch tonight or something like that. And uh, so, you know, I sent back, I think it'll be okay, dot, 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 with a laughing face, you know. And, I'm, and I'm, we're kind of joking about it. And then it was like the weight hit me of just how burdened I am for God to use these messages to strengthen homes, to strengthen marriages, to strengthen relationships. Uh, and you know, a church is only as strong as the homes it's made up of, the families it's made up of, and individuals. I know not everybody's here with their whole family. Um, But it's only as strong as those relationships and understanding (coughs) the home in this passage of scripture pictures the church and the church pictures the home and having a proper understanding biblically of one helps us to have a proper understanding biblically of the other and there is there are a lot of things stacked against us in the day we live Throughout history, we have a lot of stuff stacked against us, and we'll see this morning. Uh, Next week, we'll go back to Junior Church, just so you know. It's just this one, probably this one week. Uh, Next week, my plan is to preach to the guys, and it's good for the ladies to hear that, but it's not as critical, Uh, so you can go back and listen to that one, but I just would like the ladies to be here today. I just feel like God wants the ladies to be here today. And this, is, this, this series, I don't have all the messages prepared yet, but I'll be honest, this has been weeks of just God dealing with my heart about things and preparing for this, and yeah, it's just this has been weighing on me for weeks. And kind of today, it's coming to a head, I guess you would say, and God's just really got it heavy on my heart. So I'm just praying that God will—I told those guys this morning— I said honestly you know I know we're kind of joking about this I said but if I'm honest this is weighing really heavy on my heart right now and I just have this weight of just I think the home is so important and it is under such attack and marriage is under such attack and how can we how can we preserve our marriages how can we have our kids grow to be what God wants them to be and ultimately we should desire them to be well if the mom and dads can be what God wants them to be in their relationship. That can transform and have such influence on the next generation. And whether that's your own kids, if you're a you know, mature, more mature couple than some others, you have the opportunity to influence the younger kids, or the younger couples. And, and you know, honestly, some younger couples can influence the older couples too. You know, it can go all ways, but it is just, I love so I'll just be honest (laughs) I'm not even preaching time yet but I love marriage it's so special I love my wife and what we get to have together and I just it's not perfect it's not always perfect I'm gonna be honest we have our issues and we have our struggles but we have we are so happy we have so much joy and I know not everybody has that. And I'm not even necessarily saying here, but I know not every marriage has that. And we don't always have it, okay? So, just being clear. And when we don't, we recognize it and we know, man, something's off. And you know what, honestly, it's usually our each of us have to work on our walk with the Lord. Right. Because we're in the flesh more than what we ought to be. So because of that, we're butting heads. Because us and God are butting heads. Us and the Holy Spirit are butting heads and it's being taken out on each other. And sometimes that's our roles. The husband's role and the wife's role. We're butting heads with God on what we are supposed to be doing. And because of that, you know, anyways, you get it. I don't want to get preaching too much just yet or announcements right now. But it is just, I, we can have so much joy and happiness in this life if we would, love our spouses if we would fulfill our god-given roles in the home and both parties I know it's so hard because it's not always the case that both parties are obedient but we can just we can have so much joy and happiness in our relationships and i know when erica and i are really firing on all cylinders How much joy and happiness, and just how much we love life, and I also know at times when we're not firing on all cylinders, and the you know the eight-cylinder engine's only running on six or seven, if that even works, I don't know. Uh, You know when things aren't all going as they should, how frustrating it can be, and really how miserable it can start to make us, and we go, boy, we got to straighten this out because we're just not not jiving. We're not synced up here. And uh, my prayer is that we would sync up all our homes if they're not already synced up. And I, I don't know. You know, I'm not in everybody's personal business uh, to the point that I know where everybody's at. But I know every marriage, including Erica and I's, has a lot of work to do. And it can be better. Um, so, I know if we can, we can do better, and we have work to do. I'm sure others have work to do, and my prayer is that God will help us, all of us, myself included. And He has been helping me these last several weeks, and I'm beat up, <laughs> a little raw, as you can tell, because I'm recognizing, as good as our marriage is, I can do better. She can do better. We can, we can have a better marriage even than what we do, and uh, so. Anyways, ushers, come on down. I don't know why I keep doing this. I told you it's weighing heavy on me. I have to, have to just skip the offering and get started, but all right, Kim, can you pray for the offering? Bud? Yes, sir.
0: God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Please bless the offering, Lord, and um, please speak to us. Um, speak to us, Lord, in the message that the pastor has prepared for us, Lord, and. Jesus Everybody, we're gonna have just one more hymn. Oh. Um, please turn your hymn books to three hundred, please. Thank you. Stand with me if you can. Three hundred. Have thine own way, Lord. Thank you. I think that this was purposely put here by the pastor, not just for wise, but for everybody. We yeah. need to have the Lord. We got to choose His way over our
1: own.
3: at my own way.
2: Already know we're going to be in Ephesians chapter number five. We're going to begin in verse 22 here in a couple minutes. Every once in a while we do this. We haven't done it for a while, but I uh, I think it'd be good if we do, call it a reverse invitation, where we just take a couple minutes. Before I get to the message, we'll just have a couple minutes of quiet and just give everybody a chance to pray and just make sure, I'm going to make sure that there's nothing between me and my Savior that would hinder God working in my heart or through me. And I'd ask, we all just pray and ask God to reveal anything to us and help us to just have an open heart and an open spirit to what His Word has for us today. So, let's just take a minute. Just... It'll be silent and we'll just pray and I'll close us out in a second. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can, once again, that we have the privilege to meet with you, and Lord, I just pray that you'd work in each and every one of us, accomplish your will in our hearts, and in our, in our lives, and Lord, see to it that your word would ring true today, not my opinion, not my thought, not, Lord, I pray that nothing from today would be of me or from me. But I pray, God, that you'd just help me to deliver your message, your words, clearly and understandably. Lord, I just want you to speak to us today. Just let me be an empty vessel that you can use to deliver your message, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ephesians 5. I'll be honest, I am, just from so many weeks of this building, <laughs> I am... So full, I feel a little bit like I'm going to explode, and I'm going to do my very best to stay organized and not chase all kinds of rabbits and go down all kinds of different directions. I'm going to try to follow the notes, so if it seems like I'm reading a lot, it's because I'm trying to keep myself on track, because my brain is going a lot of different ways. Really, my heart's being pulled in a number of directions at the same time, and uh so I know on the screen it says Ephesians 5, to 24, and then skip to 33, but we're just going to read 5:22 right through the end of the chapter because it, we're going to be in this passage for at least the next couple, at least next week as well. Very possibly it's going to be a multi-week working through this passage of Scripture. And it may be, I, I don't know yet, but it may be a situation Where we cover the wives one week, and then we cover the husbands the next week, and then we go back and cover a few more things on the wives, and go back and cover a few more things on the husbands. I don't know. I I just don't know right now uh, if God's going to take care of everything today for wives, or if we're going to kind of bounce back and forth a couple times. I just don't know, honestly. Like I said, there's a lot going on right now in in my heart. I don't know. It's just, anyways. We better get to it. Beginning in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own... Oh, let's stand together, out of respect for reading God's word, forgive me. Jumping the gun here. I, I feel like I'm a little disorganized, but I'm just trying to follow the spirit, if you will. Just trying to follow God and be sensitive to that. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man... Leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have that you have to reveal to us this morning. And God, I pray that there would be nothing in the way of you working today. I pray that you would restrain Satan and his armies. And Lord, I pray that you would ring true today, your word would ring true today, and you would have liberty to minister to hearts and minds exactly as ye see fit as you see fit. Lord, I just pray that you'll do it. I pray you would accomplish all that you want to today. And Father, we we also want to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. We ask these things and pray them all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So this, I've kind of introduced the the message even before I was supposed to introduce the message. So we're going to talk about some incredibly important truths today, some things that I believe. invaluable principles and I know we've talked about this already but the home is one of the if not the most heavily attacked institutions that God created right there along with the church and you know everything that God does the enemy wants to counterfeit everything that God does the enemy is going to try to destroy and and counterfeit. He's going to try to duplicate. And usually he will make many counterfeits because one counterfeit's not enough because everyone's got a 50-50 chance of getting the right one. So why not have 200 counterfeits and then what's your chances? A half a percent? So you've got churches, you've got Bibles, you've got Uh, you know, religions, you've just got all these different things out there, and can there only be one right? Yes. You've got relationships. You, uh, you know, obviously our world, our our culture, our society does not keep marriage as what God intended it to be. Can I say this? Who instituted marriage? God. Therefore who has the right and authority to decide what marriage is? God. The government has no place right. determining what marriage is or deciding what they what what is going to constitute a legal marriage. I don't care what legal marriage is. It's what biblical marriage is yeah, that yeah. matters and it's God who instituted it. And there's all kinds of things out there that will tell us how a marriage ought to operate, how it ought to function. Again, sorry if this comes across offensive. Sorry, not sorry. But what matters is that we biblically operate the marriage, not doctor so-and-so or psychologist so-and-so or self-help book counselor, whatever it is. I'm not saying there's not good advice out there, there's not good wisdom, if the advice and wisdom is following what God's Word says about how the marriage is supposed to go around, how it's supposed to operate. So, all right. We should all strive to have biblical homes. And I kind of touched on this a few moments ago, but do any of you have a longing desire to live a miserable life? (laughs) I know it's comical, and I say it to be somewhat comical, because obviously not one of you wants to be miserable. Uh, How about, do you have a deep desire in your heart of hearts to live a life of frustration, bitterness, discontentment, misery? None of us do. I don't. And you know, can I be honest? God doesn't want us to live a life like that. He doesn't want us to. Most of the time, people who aren't saved live a life like that and try to fill and ease those things through drugs and alcohol and sinful desires and pleasures, and they're just trying to ease the pain and misery in their life. And that can be through relationships. That can be, you know, all those different things. But God instituted marriage and His design and His plan was for it to be a beautiful thing, a harmonious thing. We don't have time to get into... That was God's plan for all of creation, was for it to be a harmonious thing. But sin entered in and and disrupted that. Well, sin also entered into marriage and disrupted God's plan for it. So we each... I say we husbands and wives have decisions to make. I mean, I don't think there is any other relationship in our lives that have the the amount of influence on whether or not we are happy or miserable than our marriage. Because you live with that person. You are tied to that person. You probably share a bank account with that person. You share a house, in my bedroom, Uh, vehicles, uh, children, maybe business, or I mean, it just goes on and on and on. The things we share with that other person we're married to, who else do we share half of those things with? Probably nobody. So we have a choice to make wives and husbands each on their own side in a sense, but we'll see in the future weeks that, and maybe touch on today, we're not supposed to be opposite sides. We are supposed to come together as one, but we are still two individual persons that have a decision to make. Am I going to come in here and fulfill the God-given role that he has told me I need to fill, or am I going to fight it and resist it so instead of coming together like this, we come together like this? I mean, that's, that's our option. That's our choices. We can come together, or we can... Come, you know, like this, and be butting heads and and at odds with one another. We have to make a decision. So, (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say some things today. I'm really, I don't want to be offensive, but God's word sometimes is offensive. And I'm going to present it as gently as I can, because that's just me. But no, in my heart of hearts, I want to just help people and I want us to do things as biblically as we possibly can. And through the things that I'm going to say that are offensive, when we get to the end, and maybe you don't take them offensively. So hopefully we take them and go, oh man, yeah. You know, that's how my heart is. But hopefully we take them with an open heart and not with an offended spirit. But when. We get to the end, I'm going to be honest. I am, I hate to use the word offended because it sounds like I'm mad. I'm mad at myself. You know, it convicts me. That's what I am. I'm convicted as the husband, even though this is to the wife. When we get to the end as the husband, I, I'm convicted because I have the opportunity to make my wife's job of fulfilling her role easier or harder. She also has that opportunity. So it goes both ways. Uh, but I better get moving here. So Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. Let's just read these... There it is. These first three verses again. It says, "...wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church." And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Okay, now let's jump over to Colossians chapter number three. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So just over like the third book from where we are. And we're going to read verses 18 and 19. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3. Keep going towards the end of your Bible, and you'll come across 1 Peter. If you hit Revelation, go back a few books. 1 Peter chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1. We'll read down through 7. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that... If any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So, three different passages, really four times, and then again down at the end of Ephesians it, it mention, uh, Ephesians 5, it mentions it again. But in all three of these passages, as I was studying them, I said, oh no. God does something consistently in each one of the passages. He addresses the wife's submission before he addresses the husband's loving. And I thought that seems so odd. I thought it seemed odd. Obviously, it's not because God's thoughts are above my thoughts and His ways are above my higher than my ways. But I thought, why did God do it that way? Because I'll be honest, in my logical brain, I'm thinking, husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And according to First John 419 oh, whoops, hang on, First John 4:19, we love him because he first loved us. So in my logical brain I'm thinking it makes sense to me that the husband would have to love their wives as Christ loved the church before the, Wives submit to their husbands just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Therefore, the church has been able to come to exist, and the result is we love him back because he loved us first. So I'm thinking, surely the husband has to love the wives first. But in every instance, he addresses the wives' submission first. And I thought, huh. Why is that well uh, what does well first we're going to talk about I'm jumping ahead on the screen but the truth is wife so the wife has the ability to make or break the man and I we might think no the man's supposed to rule he's supposed to lead yep he is but depending how... That, his success in leading the home is largely dependent upon the wife submitting to his authority. Because if she's unwilling to submit to his authority and him trying to lead the home is this, he's not going to be successful. As much as he might desire to or want to, he's going to fail, not, be, not necessarily, I'm not saying he has no part in it, But not necessarily because he's not wanting to or desiring to, but because he's not being allowed to. And we could say, well, the wife can't not allow him to. Really? I mean, how does he rule the house if the wife refuses to submit? I mean, yes, the Bible speaks of children. Spare the rod, spoil the child. But no physical, I mean, what do you do? You yell, you scream, you fight. That's what it often turns into. And the end result is the home never comes into this. Because he can't lead because she won't submit. And I don't want to get too much into next week, but can he, I think it's in Colossians where it says, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Why do you think he would be bitter towards his wife if she won't submit and allow him to be what God has told him to be? I promise you, he's going to grow bitter towards you. That's just that's why the Bible addresses it. It's, that's what's going to happen. Well, why, why is it this way? Well, first off, God created the woman from the man, and for the man, the Bible says. Does that mean the woman is less valuable or less important or let no that's not what it means at all pastor Wiley always made this comment anything with two heads is a monster you know I mean that's how we view it if you got a uh, you know if you got a horse with two heads what are we gonna think of that thing you know or we got a lizard with two heads it's gonna freak people out This shouldn't even be a thing how does this happen why does this thing exist you know we're gonna struggle with that Uh, So, the Bible says back in Genesis, we're not going to get into all of it, but it says that God created the woman, the wife, to be Adam's help, comma, meet. It's not one word, it's two words. Well, what does that mean exactly? And meet is M-E-E-T, just to be clear. So what does the word meet mean? Well, meet means fit suitable, proper, qualified, this is Webster's 1828 Dictionary, convenient, adapted as to a use or purpose. So she is fit to be his help. She is suitable as his help. She is proper for his help, qualified, convenient to be his helper, to be his help. And the two of them together are able to fulfill all that God wants them to fulfill do all that God wants them to do. God looked at Adam and saw he needed something in order to be able to do what God wanted him to do on this earth. So he made the woman out of his side, took the rib out of his side, created her from that rib, and then said she would be his help meet. Interestingly, I'm going to get ahead of myself. All right. So, there is some warnings about being ladies not being what God wants them to be. Look at Proverbs 21 with me. Proverbs chapter 21. I promise you, ladies, I am beating up on the guys next week. <laughs> Why am I addressing the ladies first? Well, I just showed you. That's what the Bible does in all of the accounts. So I'm just following. If we go verse by verse, I'm just following the order. All right, Proverbs 21, verse number 9. It says, It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Verse 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Proverbs 27, 15. And there's other verses. I just picked a few that would be pretty close together. 27, 15. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. What is that? You know, a continual dropping, like if you're sitting under the ed- under a tree on a rainy day and there's a drop that just keeps like, what do you do after a while? You're like, man, that is so annoying.
1: <laughs>
2: you know, you just can't get away from that dropping. Well, that's what it's saying, <laughs> that's what it's comparing it to, a contentious woman. So what does that tell us? Well, that that contention, that contention is that Abrasive, can't come to the same uh, agreement, can't get in where we need to be. It's that like resistance, that fighting, that disagreement, you know, that contentiousness. Uh, Only by pride cometh contention, the Bible says. We're familiar with that verse. So, do we see how if God tells a husband he's to lead his home? and the wife refuses to fulfill her role of submitting to his authority, it's going to create struggles and it's gonna create hardships. And it's easy on the outside looking in, maybe for so, well, me as the pastor to look at a home and say, why doesn't that guy lead his family? He puts his wife in the position where she's always gotta step up. And it might not always be so obvious. I'm not saying I'm, I think that about anybody here. I'm just using it as an example, okay? Uh, but it might be that the wife behind closed doors makes it really difficult. Uh, so, and the Bible says. Compares the husband to Christ, right, and the wife to the church. Does Christ ever force the church into submission? No, He loves the church, and because actually He loves all mankind. And what did he, did He ever force a person into submission? He gives us what, free will. So if the wife is gonna submit, she has to of her own will submit, otherwise it's not submission at all. Uh, and I know that's hard. That's tough. And it's, honestly, it's tough for me to say, standing up here looking at all these ladies and telling you all this The only reason I'm able to do it is because it's not my opinion. Right. It's what the Bible says. That's the only reason I have any level of comfort to stand up here and say these things is because I'm not telling you what I think. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And ultimately, I can't make anyone do anything with it. I can tell you what the Bible says, and when we walk out the doors of the church today, every individual who heard what I'm trying to share the Bible says can walk out and say, that was stupid, you know, or that was foolish, or I ain't doing that. Or you can walk out and say, yeah, God showed me some things that I really need to work on. And I'm going to pray and ask him to help me. Sincerely. And I promise you if we would do things biblically, we can have a joyful, happy marriage. We can have a wonderful relationship. (laughs) And I've already told you how wonderful I feel like our marriage is. And I know it can even be better. And if you're you don't feel like you have a wonderful marriage, I'd encourage you, or you feel like, you know, yeah, our marriage is good, but I, I'm sure it can be better, I'd encourage you to consider some of the things we're seeing in the Bible today and consider, is there some things that I need to work on? Jump over to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We're going to see uh, a part of creation particularly mankind. Genesis one26 through 26-28. I'm going to explain why I believe God put the woman submitting before the man loving a little bit more thoroughly here in a couple minutes. So, I'm not done dealing with that. And it's not necessarily women's fault. Okay? It's not necessarily a la- the lady's fault. I mean, the lady is the reason for it, but well, I'm just going to let the Bible speak for itself cuz I <laughs> I'm digging a hole that I don't want to get stuck in. So okay. Let's get to Genesis, right? That's where we are. <laughs> Genesis 1:26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So, God created mankind, man and woman, and gave them dominion over the earth. They were to dress and keep it, in a sense, rule over creation, of course, under the authority of God. That was, that was what God made in the garden. He gives us some commentary on that over in 1 Corinthians 11 as to what that would have looked like in the marriage. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 3. Here we are. I I can't talk, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now look down in verse 8 and 9, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So that gives us a little bit more commentary on our Genesis 1 passage that God and and we won't go right now for the sake of time and everything, but, uh, you know, where God talked about making him a help meet and all that stuff, help meet, uh, we won't get into all that. I've touched on it, uh, but we are going to look at Genesis 3 next. I should have told you to hold your place in Genesis before I had you turn out of, over to First Corinthians, but Genesis 3 and verse number 6. So sometimes we overlook that when the man and the woman ate the fruit, in this, in this verse we're going to read here in a second, we not only have disobedience to God, but we also have a role reversal. God's plan of what we just read over in 1 Corinthians 11 of the woman not being made for the man, but the man, uh, no, I'm sorry. The man not being made for the woman, but the woman for the man And up above, you know, the head of every woman is the man, and the head of the man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. Well, that got flipped over on its head in Genesis uh, chapter 3. If we read verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Well, what tree is this? We know it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had told Adam and Eve, do not eat of that tree. Well, Eve was deceived. Don't get me wrong. She was beguiled, but she chose to eat of the fruit, and then she took it to Adam. He knew what he was eating, and he also ate of that fruit. Notice... He's not leading her; she is leading him. We just read in 1 Corinthians 11:3. We know that the head of every woman is the man, and the head of the man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. That uh, we just read that. Well, I'm jumping ahead. Notice he's not providing for her; she's providing for him. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 1 Timothy 5:8. But if any provide not for his own and Especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Notice she's not with him, but he is with her. In that 1 Corinthians 11, 8-9, we read, uh, I just kind of quoted it to you, but now all of a sudden I can't remember how it goes. Keep your place in Genesis. We are going right back there if you're turning over to 1 Corinthians. But I want to, just read it to you versus bumbling it up. I all of a sudden remember what it says, but we'll still just read it out of the text. All right, it says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So in one sense, maybe she thought she was being a help, but he let her bring to him and give him something that ultimately caused I mean, it changed the face of mankind for all of history. Like, it was a pretty big deal. And I'm not saying that women mislead their husbands all the time or anything like that. What I'm saying is God's plan got turned upside down, and the result was sin and consequence of a curse. And we're going to look at that curse in Genesis 3.16, which says and i will put enmity between oh that's 15 verse 16 under the woman he said i will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee now I've always read that. I've always understood that, always heard it, and I've always preached it, that what that meant was that the husband was going to be the head of the house and the woman's desire was going to be for him to be that. Great, if that's the case, because that makes her job easier, doesn't it? If he's gonna, supposed to be the leader and she desires him to, be the le- him to be the leader, that makes everything operate so much more smoothly. Uh, my wife brought this up couple years ago, and it came up a couple of times and caused me to think about this a little more and study it a little more. There's the phrase, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Well, sounds all well and good, but look at Genesis 4, 7, just the next chapter. This is Cain, God speaking to Cain, and he tells him, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted question mark? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Sin desires to control us. His desire shall be unto thee is the same phrase as the curse, and wouldn't it make sense if it's a curse it is going to make what did, What were the What were two things God established in the marriage relationship? Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. First part of the curse. You will have sorrow in conception and in childbearing. The second part is that husbands are to uh, be the head of the house and wives are to be his help meet. Well, the second part of the curse Your desire is going to be unto your husband, and he's going to rule over you. I, I believe what that's saying is you're going to want to take the lead. It is going to be in the woman to lead the man, but the plan of God is for the man to lead the woman. This is where the curse is. It is going to be a struggle because of the curse that's come as a result of the roles being turned upside down all the way back in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve took of the fruit, ate, and gave to Adam. And he said, great, honey, I'll follow you. And the result into sin. And the result was this curse. So where I was saying earlier, it's not the woman's fault that this is a difficult command to follow. What I was getting at is, God has put that there as part of this curse to make, why would God do it? Well, it's a consequence. Yeah. And one of the biggest problems we have in our world today is people don't understand consequences. Yeah. Is it a consequence for something you did? It's a consequence for something our great, 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 I don't have time to get them all in there, <laughs> grandparents Adam and Eve did. That's that's what it's the consequence of, is something that they did. And the result is that's been passed down from our parents to us for generations and generations and generations. And I know that it's kind of a tough pill to swallow, that God would tell us to do something and then wire into our DNA something that makes it hard for us to do it, but that's just, that's how it is. It's a consequence. So understand, when you know you should follow your husband but there's something in you that says no it's the curse it doesn't mean you shouldn't follow him it's not a it's not god saying don't don't follow your husband it's it's the curse saying you need to be in charge it's the curse saying you need to lead things that's that it's that curse so all right So that is why I believe that in all the instances where God addresses the home, the first thing he addresses is, wives, submit to your own husband. The men have a curse too, but it doesn't deal with the marriage relationship specifically. The wife's curse does. Therefore, it is in her not to submit to her husband. And is that not also a curse on the man? I mean, it is. Because it has now created this... Challenge this power struggle, if you will. Um, So understand if husbands would obey their command and love their wives as God has commanded them to, well, they're halfway to reversing the curse. But then if wives would fulfill their command and submit to their own husbands, in a sense, you reverse the curse because it's not influencing or controlling your marriage relationship. So why is it that marriage is so difficult sometimes? Well, and that it can bring misery. It could be, or probably has a lot to do with us being under the curse and not living our lives the way we are commanded to, but instead letting the curse control us. Marriage is a circular process, submitting and loving. It's like this. It's not, submit, and love. It is submit, love, submit, love, submit, it's this, it's a circle. So I say that to point out, I'm not saying one is more important than the other. I'm just saying, it's, if wives fulfill their role first, it is easier for the husband to fulfill his. Now, I do want to say this. Sometimes we talk about our society, and the the media, and the TV, and the feminist movement, and we talk about all these things, and what I think that sometimes does, I really should deal with this next week, and it'll probably come back up, it causes husbands to get a victim mindset. of, Well, I can't leave my house because of all this stuff. I'm just a victim of our culture. I'm a victim of the feminist movement. I'm a victim of my wife not submitting to my authority. I'm a victim, a victim of it. Guys, don't be victims, because we, still can fulfill our role of loving our wives as Christ loved the church and giving himself for it, even if our wives not submitting to our authority. We still have things we gotta do. We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, All right, we are gonna get to the end of this for supper. I'm just kidding. All right, so what does this submission look like? How much? Are we supposed to submit? Well, God helps us understand that through this little word, as. Back in Ephesians, sorry, 5.22. There we are. Ephesians 5.22. This is a... You know, we'd ask the question how much? To what degree am I supposed to submit? How far does this submission go? Well, in Ephesians, God uses this example. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, I know that seems like what what? he expects me to submit to my husband to the same degree I submit to the Lord. It's not my opinion, okay? It's not my opinion it's what the Bible says. With that little word as, he tells us to what degree. And it's hard for me to say because it could sound like, well, you're just a chauvinist pig. You just think, I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm just saying, I'm pointing out what the Bible says. Um, So wives, submit your own husbands as unto the Lord. Well, Is there a degree or is there a point where the church is supposed to say, well, I don't like what Christ wants us to do here, so we're not going to do it. No, we would never say that there's ever a time where the church has the right or the authority. Now understand, I'm not saying wives should be in an abusive situation. I'm not saying, like, if your husband is physically abusing you, that you should submit to him and just... Take the licks with a smile. I'm not saying that at all, okay? If that's happening, let me know. And he'll get some licks. (laughs) (laughs) Edit that out of the tape, please. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, to my knowledge, nobody here is in that situation. And if it were that situation, please let me know. And I'm not saying I'm gonna, It will. I will do what I can to deal with it. And it will be probably legal. No, I'm just kidding. So he gives more clarity in Ephesians 5, 23 to 24. He says some more. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, there's that word again, Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... There's the word as again, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Not some things, but in everything. And I know that sounds so extreme and that is so contrary to what our culture teaches us. And that's probably why I struggle so much with saying these things because I know it is so contrary to what we have been taught in every area of life. I'm simply showing you what the Bible says. That's my... I'm gonna throw God under the bus, I guess. This is Nathan's opinion. This is what the Word of God says. I know it's hard to hear, and as I said, it's hard to preach. And I already said this before, but if it is a forced submission or it's an involuntary submission, it's not really submission at all. No more than if I tell Caleb, since he's in the service right now, Caleb, go take out the trash. And he stomps his feet and he takes the trash and he rips it out of the can and in the process, tears the bag open and trash all over the house. And has he submitted to my authority when I told him to take out the trash? No, he's doing what he's supposed to, but he's doing it with a really sour attitude. And that's not actually obedience. That's not actually submission. So... Sometimes that's where it begins, though, right? Us obeying, and it's hard. But it can grow to a harmonious relationship. Colossians chapter 3, we already read that a little earlier, but let's jump back over there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So, in order for a marriage relationship to achieve the oneness, the unity that God wants, intends, there has to be that submission piece for it to fit, for it to be fit. You remember when we talked about what the word meet means? The very first meaning in Webster's 1828 was fit, right. A help fit. So it is fit in the Lord for the wife to submit to her husband, and that will make it so the relationship can have harmony. It can work. Again, anything with two heads is a monster, you know? I mean, this. And I don't. I think I got it somewhere in my notes here. Actually, remember the first Corinthians? I put it on the screen this time because we've already turned there twice. Eight to nine, 11, eight to nine. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. We used to have some people that would say, you know, I understand the man is supposed to be the head, but the woman is the neck, and she turns the head. Well, I, I understand what the... I think I understand what the intention of that statement is, but you know, if we bring it back to what the Bible is using as a picture, is there ever a time where we would say that we believe that the church is supposed to turn Christ in a certain direction? No. Christ is the one who's the head leading the church in the direction he would have it go. Frankly, there are times when the churches are trying to do that and they're making a mess of what church is intended to be, of what God instituted it to be. So, ought not to be. It's trouble when that takes place. All right, last passage. Nope, almost the last passage. Second to last passage, but the two go together. First, First Peter 3. First Peter 3. We, we've looked at this one already, too. Uh, remember, if you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. It's just a few books back. First Peter 3. Verse 1. Sorry, it's on the screen now. All right, for as much, nope, that's verse four, chapter four, I mean, verse, chapter three, verse one, likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So you may have noticed, maybe you didn't, I didn't at first, we don't have that word as in this verse. All the other instances, the word as is there. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as this, as that. In this verse, we don't. So I thought, well, that's interesting. We kind of have the same message to be in subjection, but we don't have the word as in there. In fact, it even goes on to address, like, if the husband has an issue, if any obey not the word, that's talking about the word of God, so what is going on here? If they don't obey the word, but the wife fulfills her role of being in subjection, that husband can be won by the conversation of the wives. He can be he can be turned around. He can be straightened out, if you will. And and you know, I know the natural reaction is, well, if if my husband's not what he wants to be, what I think he should be, or what the Bible says he's supposed to be, according to my interpretation, then I need to tell him. I need to address it. I need to make sure he knows he's not being all that he's supposed to be. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And I'm not saying conversations never happen, and it's never appropriate. I would say be careful not to be the contentious woman that Proverbs talked about, though. I would say that. But here it's saying he can be one, that conversation, I should probably clarify, that word conversation doesn't mean verbal conversation. It means how one's life is lived. It means by the behavior, by the actions. And if, if That doesn't, just so that you understand, read a little further down. Verse 2 says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, again, word conversation, still the same thing I am saying, it's not what we think of conversation, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, holy women of uh, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Notice it's saying it's not we're not talking about the outward, we're talking about the hidden man of the heart, the inner woman inner man. Sometimes the Bible uses the word man, and it means it can be both. It's like the word mankind doesn't only mean men. Sometimes it does, but not always. Well, this is saying that they should be in subjection. So look at verse 6. We get the word as. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Little l But interesting over in Ephesians it says submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. I'm not saying you should call your husbands Lord. Little l or not. I'm not saying that. But as far as the submission piece it fits with Ephesians. Whose daughters ye are Sarah, not your husband just to be clear. As long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now this really hit me and we're going to we're going to end up ending with this, I think. What is this talking about? Well, jump to Genesis chapter 20. Don't lose your place in second, uh, First Peter if you haven't already, but if you have, I'm not even positive we're going to turn back there, but we probably will. Genesis chapter number 20. This This hit me hard, okay? This has been beating me up all week. And maybe you're going to hear it and be like, What's wrong with you, pastor? It's silly that that affects you, but it has, okay? We're going to read several verses, uh, try to follow along. I'll go somewhat quick, but, all right, so I believe that passage we just read in 1 Peter 3 is a commentary on this passage in Genesis chapter 20 as far as Sarah and her testimony that God brings out. Beginning in verse 1, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister, and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself, said he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me, Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live, and if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech, "'called Abraham, and said unto him, "'What hast thou done unto us? "'And what have I offended thee, "'that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? "'Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. "'And Abimelech said unto Abraham, "'What sawest thou, that thou hast done this thing? "'And Abraham said, "'Because I, saw, I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, "'and they will slay me for my wife's sake. "'And yet indeed she is my sister.' She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is my kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen uh, and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife, And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. All right. I'm going to be completely honest. I have always struggled with that passage in Genesis for two reasons. One, I thought, What kind of a man is Abraham? that he would say, say you're my sister, say I'm your brother, and I'm going to say you're my sister. That way if anyone wants to take you, they'll take you and won't kill me because they, think I'm your hu- because they know I'm your husband. So husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it is out the window. So I always thought I just can't understand that. If a man looks at my wife inappropriately, it burns me up. So I can't imagine someone actually taking her away from me I mean you're gonna go through me and I was always told I make a better door than a window you know just <laughs> uh, so the second piece I struggle with is why would Sarah go along with this why would she not say excuse me you're gonna tell them I'm your sister so that they'll take me morally obviously the intentions on the other side there were wicked And would cause her to be in sin. So I always struggled with why in the world would Sarah go along with this? Well, 1 Peter demonstrates this for us. And this really, (laughs) I don't know, I keep making a big deal of it. Maybe nobody's going to think anything of it like I do, but. If we look at verse 4 again, of 1 Peter 3. But but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Her husband said, this is what I want you to do, Sarah. And she had a meek and quiet spirit, and went along with it. Again. Why would she be in subjection to her husband in this case? Well, she did it not because she was being deceptive, but because she was one of the holy women mentioned in verse 6, who, even in a time when she could not trust her husband, she trusted God. Amen. That if she was obedient and faithful, to submit to her husband and be in subjection to him, even when she couldn't trust him to look out for her, even when she couldn't trust him to have her best interest at heart, she said, I'm going to do what God has commanded me to do. And that beats me up because what a responsibility on husbands. If we want our wives to be the godly wives that God's called them to be, what a responsibility on us to be such leaders that they can trust us to have their best interest at heart, that they can trust us to take care of them and look out for them. Now, that doesn't mean, ladies, if your husband is not trustworthy, that you're not supposed to submit. That's why God put this in 1 Peter to say, Listen, even though Abraham should not or could not be trusted by Sarah, She didn't worry about whether or not he was trustworthy. She knew that her God was trustworthy. And if she submitted to him, even when he's not obedient unto the word, he can be won by her chaste conversation. That's, That's tough. I understand. That is a tough pill to swallow. She exercised great faith in God trusting that if she obeyed God and fulfilled her biblical role in the marriage, God would deal with him and the situation as he saw fit. What a tough, tough position Abraham put his wife. And while in the past I've thought, man, that's Sarah. What in the world is wrong with her? I've also thought, "What in the... first I've been mad at Abraham that he put her in that position. Don't get me wrong. But I've also thought, why would she even be willing to be put in that situation? It's not that she wanted to be. It was that her husband put her in that that position, and because she was a godly woman of old, that she quietly and submissively let herself be taken. And I think, I still struggle, I'm going to be honest, I still struggle with comprehending that, but Abraham lacked faith, that's why he put her in that position. Sarah did not. That's why she was willing to say, alright Abraham, I'm gonna submit to you, even if it cost me my morality, even if it, I mean, I just can't, I struggle with that. More on Abraham, and now that I see this, God used that as an example to say this is the picture of subjection, of submission that Sarah set. And he's saying she was a godly woman of old. It does go on to say in verse 7, we'll talk about this more next week, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Abraham had the responsibility to protect his wife. He failed. She submitted and trusted that if he wouldn't, God would. And God was faithful. What a tremendous example, but it's also a convicting passage, I believe, for both parties, the husband and the wife. Convicting because, for the wife because I can't imagine how hard that would be, how hard that is. Probably my wife can, because there's times where she can't trust me. (laughs) Uh, Is the wife supposed to be trustworthy? We may talk about that in the future. Proverbs 31 woman, yes, it talks about her husband trusteth in her at all times, or something to that effect. Uh, And we may go there in the future. But husbands ought to be leaders that wives can trust to lead them and lead them well. The very first thing the husband has to do in order to accomplish that, in, Pro, uh, no, in 1 Peter 3, Abraham wasn't trustworthy, why? Because he was not obeying the word. So if we want to be the kind of leaders that our wives can trust, we've got to be following the word. We've got to be obeying God and, and be a godly leader. Does that mean that wives don't submit if he's not a godly leader? Well... I heard, we went to the sweetheart banquet, I know I've been long, I just quickly went to the sweetheart banquet and the pastor told a a story about a couple, a a woman in his church, whose husband was not saved. And he was just not a very kind man, but he let her go to church. And she was at church every time the doors were open. Well, his, his work was having a banquet, and he knew his wife had strong convictions about modesty and things like that his work was having a banquet and she always went but at this time there was a church service and he told her that morning it was a sunday morning he said you can go to church this morning but he said i don't want you to go tonight you're coming to me coming with me to our my work christmas banquet and he throws down a box and he says and you're going to wear this dress and she opened it up and it was this like swanky revealing dress that she would never choose for herself never wear in public and of course she in tears goes to church that morning and after church she goes and meets with her pastor and he said I honestly can't tell you he goes I- I'm not going to tell you what to do he said I just he says you're going to have to pray and seek God's wisdom on this matter but he said i Let me share this passage with you. And he took her to this 1 Peter 3 passage, that through even when your husband's not obeying the word, you're in subjection, and you can win him by your conversation. So she prayed on that all day. Well, that night, she goes upstairs, and she puts on the dress. And she comes downstairs, and her husband sees her. And he goes, what are you doing? And she says, I'm doing what you asked. And she's trying her best to smile, but she, she's being torn apart inside. And she says, you told me to wear this dress, and you told me that I'm going with you to this function tonight, so she said, here I am. And he says, I don't understand, why are you doing that? She said, because you told me to. And God tells me I need to be in submission to you, so I'm, I'm doing the best I can to be a godly wife. And he breaks down crying, and he says, go get changed. We're going to church. And he went to church with her and trusted Christ as his Savior that night. All because all she did was obey God and submit when her husband couldn't be trusted. She believed God just like Sarah. And look at what God did. I'm not saying it always plays out that way the first time. I'm not saying that it's... I'm just saying, follow God. Strive to be the wife of that God wants you to be I know it's not easy I'm not I can't say I know it isn't I don't know from my own personal experience because I've never been a wife (laughs) I've never been a woman I never will be (laughs) 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 there oh boy so I can't say I understand but as best I can, from the Bible and from seeing what's happening in the world around us, I understand the fact that it is not easy. I understand the fact that husbands are not always trustworthy. I understand that it's not as simple as just saying, well, this is what I got to do. I understand there's a curse that makes it extra hard. I understand that it's When God says to do this, I understand it's not something that's just like, oh yeah, he wants me to do that, that's easy. It's not. And I'm not saying it is. What I'm saying is if the husband is not obeying the word as God expects him to, it doesn't help if the wife says, well then I'm not going to do what God tells me to do either. That doesn't help. The Bible actually says the opposite if the wife will trust God and be the submissive wife that God has called her to do, not only, A, will your life be less of this. If he's not godly, you may not get this, but there will be less of this. But, uh, I think you'll be happier in the end. If nothing else, because you're doing what God has told you to do. And that's ultimately... The only person you can control is yourself. You can't make someone else be what God has commanded them to be, but you can be what God has called you to be. And I know that's hard. We can say, well, they need to do their part. I know this hurts, and it's hard for me to say, but the Bible does, in every instance, put the wife's submission before and then use the example in in. 1 Peter of the wife's submission winning the husband it may go a long ways if we just believe the Bible it will I don't want to tiptoe around the tulips because I'm trying to be gentle if we just take what the Bible says it will go a long ways to getting your husband to be what God wants him to be and uh, I'm not going to pretend I fully understand I don't and I'm not going to try to pretend that maybe there haven't been things that have been offensive today. I understand. Just encourage you with an open heart, consider the things we've seen in the Bible and pray on them. And my prayer has been through this whole thing that God would help us. Men and ladies alike, you know, both, that God would help us. Uh, But I know today has specifically been more geared towards the ladies. Uh, But there are some things there that should help men too, convict men too. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. We have a couple moments of invitation and we'll dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what we've seen in the Scriptures. I know we've looked at several different passages, and I know there are some things that are probably difficult to hear, difficult to read. And I'm thankful that it's not my opinion, but it's Your Word. And anything I preach, I can't stand on the authority of my opinion or my ideas, but only on the Word of God. And we also know, Father, that it's the Word of God that's the hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. And I pray, God, if any of us, if anyone here is struggling with some of these things, oh, Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to strive. Help us to be sensitive to the Spirit and to Your Word. And Father, before we even submit, before the, the wife even submits to her husband, she first has to submit to You and what You've commanded. I pray, Father, that You'd help Help us to do that. Help the men to be submissive to you, to submit to you, so that we can fulfill our role in the marriage. And if either party's not willing to submit to you and your biblical authority, then they're not going to be able to then submit in the roles that you've called them to to do. Father, I pray you'd help us. We keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed. I know this isn't a salvation message per se, but... I still feel obligated to ask if there's anyone here that's never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I can't say for sure that I'm saved. I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity when I die. And you know the reality is everyone dies. If you don't know what eternity holds for you, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? You don't have to raise your hand. But if be honest with yourself and with God. Now, I don't need to know. Maybe you'd say, I struggle with some of these things. It is difficult for me to be the wife that God has called me to be. To submit to my husband as unto the Lord. To submit to Him in everything. To be in subjection to Him even when He's not being obedient to the Word. And listen, if if your testimony would be, yeah, I struggle with that, my response would be, I can imagine, it's hard. My intention is not to beat anyone up, but to remind us and to show us that it's important. That we strive to be the biblical wife that God has called, and really, I should say, commanded. And I'll tell you, next week, I'm going to deal with the men. And I'm going to try to be harder on them than I have been on the wise. Let's just take a couple minutes. I'm not going to labor this, but let's just take a couple minutes and give folks opportunity to pray. And just to ask God for help. And to, you know, if nothing else, help us to leave here and not forget about what we've heard and what we've seen in God's word but to really chew on it in the days ahead. And prayerfully, God uses it to help us. And ultimately, to help our home, help our families. Every one of our homes, mine included, can be better if we submit more to the Word of God. So let's just take a couple minutes to give folks some time to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our church family. And thank you, Lord, that I was able to preach this message today and have liberty to do so. And Father, I know there have been some things that I've said that have been probably hard to hear. And honestly, from where I'm standing, they've been hard to say. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to sincerely in our heart of hearts desire to be what you want us to be. And the only way we know what that is is from your word, by reading about it in the pages of your word. And you never said it was going to be easy. In fact, according to Genesis 3.16 the curse, it's going to be difficult because we live in a world and we battle with our flesh it's difficult because society and and everything that we are influenced by outside of church and probably even sometimes (coughs) in church Father the influences all go against what's your word Many of them go against your word. It's not easy. But Lord, I do believe everyone in this building, on this property right now, would say they don't want to live a life that is made miserable because of their marriage relationship. Lord, I just pray you'd help us to understand that if we do things your way, we don't have to be. We can have joy. We can have peace. We can have happiness. Lord, the husband and wife ultimately complete each other. She was taken from the man. She's a part of him. We need one another. We function better together. Lord, I pray you'd help both husband and wife not to take each other for granted, but to see each other for what they are. Proverbs says, If a man findeth a wife, he findeth a good thing. Lord, I just pray you'd bless each home that's represented here. I pray you'd strengthen marriages. And Lord, we know that only you can help us to do these things. Help us to be in submission to the Spirit as He deals with us and works to change us. Lord, help wives to fulfill their role. Also help men to fulfill their role. Part of which is to be such godly leaders, that their wife can trust them. Help us, Lord. Father, I pray you bless the food next door, bless the fellowship, bless the remainder of our day. Father, we love you, we pray these things, and we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.